Welcome to the Plans and Provisions Podcast, your source for homesteading and preparedness information and inspiration. We're so glad you're here. We'll be talking with some incredible folks, sharing ideas, and learning what we can do to become more independent and resilient in these interesting times. Now here's your host, Jason White. I've heard it said that over the past few years, we've seen a back-to-the-land movement on a level never before seen in this nation. As the monolith of centralized and industrialized food production continues its decline, more and more people are taking a step or two back and learning how to do things in ways that have mostly been lost over the past few generations. Many of us are eager to learn, but at a real deficit in direct learning as a result of the cultural shift towards convenience over the past several decades. My guest today has a different story than most of us as his family has occupied the same piece of land for about 200 years, living in ways that many of us are trying to learn today. His name is Justin Metcalf, and he is not only an eighth-generation homesteader, but he is also what is known as a traditional millwright. His YouTube channel, Metcalf Mills, is a fantastic resource for those interested in learning traditional skills, as well as those with a curiosity about Appalachian history. In our conversation, Justin shares the history of his grandfather's grain mill and how, after several decades of neglect and disrepair, he was able to bring new life into that old milling equipment. I ask him some specifics about homestead-level grain production, and he describes how he does things on his farm to keep his family fed. We discuss the decline of the community grain mill, and he shares some exciting news of his plans to bring them back to life. I hope you enjoy. Justin Metcalf, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, me too, man. I've been looking forward to this, that's for sure. Um, You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on the show is, you know, when I look around the homestead community and the homestead movement, it really seems like the vast majority of the folks who are involved in it and, and coming into it are kind of transplants out of suburbia and the urban world. And, and they're kind of having to figure out their way as they go. But um, that's not really the case with you, is it? No, I guess you could say I've got a history. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you've been where you're at for... I mean, you grew up there in the mountains, and and you're what? You said eighth generation out there? Eighth generation here. It's been almost 200 years since my family settled in this uh, holler little valley here where we live. And uh, I've, I've lived on the same dirt all my life, so. That's incredible. Yeah, I don't know that I've met anybody in that position, so that's pretty unique um so i mean you've lived there your whole life um and you i mean you you grow most of your food out there don't you yeah we grow a lot of it and trying to maximize on that even more these days and you know doing some things and experimenting uh that we've not done before just to see how it goes and Anytime I go to the grocery store, I always say, we got to go get what we can't grow. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. We're at the beginning stages here. Um, we've got uh, 
eight months on our property out here in the Ozarks and uh, just kind of getting started. And, and yeah, we're, we're behind the curve, but we're jumping in head first and, and we're learning quite a bit and we've got a pretty good garden going out there and some animals, but um, so you, you're what's known as a traditional millwright. Is that correct? That's right. I'm not a, like, I wouldn't say a full-fledged traditional millwright. I only know what I have experience with, but I do a lot of uh, stone dressing on grain mills. I mean, there's just a lot of aspects to a traditional millwright, and to be a traditional millwright in the sense of building, you know, a three- or four-story water-powered grain mill – those opportunities don't really come up and in my perspective i can't claim to be that unless i've had that opportunity i have built a water mill from the ground up uh it was uh powered by a 16 foot water wheel uh ground grain i did almost all that probably 90 percent by myself and i'm thankful for that opportunity and i have built some other water wheels that worked and I've done a lot of restoration on grain milling equipment, uh, rebuilt some really old equipment, a lot of millstone dressing, and some other things that I'm going to get into here in a little bit. But yeah, that's, that's right. It's just all aspects, and I don't like to, unless I've got experience in something, I don't like to get too uh, talky about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's smart. I like that. Well, when it comes to experience and 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 mill writing and 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 everything that you just listed off, I mean, it's not something that I I've ever come across really anybody talking about it or doing it, and it seems like it's pretty rare. Where in, where did you get that experience to be able to have those skills? That's for sure. It's a small world. I don't hardly know anybody that I can discuss things with, but I found that I can share things and people get really interested and that makes me feel great. It's really encouraging. I grew up listening to stories from my dad about going to the, uh, my grandpa operated a small community grain mill here in the mountains of Appalachia where I live. There used to be a grain mill in just about every community. That's how people survived. They grew corn, and uh, corn was milled for cornbread, and they would make some other things. Not so much grits, but they would uh, grind the cornmeal and cook it like uh, porridge or oatmeal and make what they call cornmeal mush. And cornbread. I mean, a lot of the families had cornbread at least twice a day. Some people even had it for breakfast, so... It was a staple that got them through, and without the community grain mills, they could not have survived. And my grandpa, he ran this small mill, and I grew up hearing my dad tell stories about that. You know, it was a it was a big thing in my dad's life on Saturday morning to get in the, the old car that my grandpa had with him and, which would be my dad's uncle, my grandpa's brother, and they would go along and pick up. Then people didn't go to the mill, that particular mill. They would set their, their corn out 
beside the road in a sack and they would pick it up on their way to the mill and go mill it and then drop it back off on their way home but my dad told me about going to the mill and you know when that mill was operating grinding this corn he said uh he would stick his hand under that spout and that corn meal fresh corn meal coming out would be warm and it smelled so good and he would eat it right out of his hand and the feelings he had about that just the excitement and how much he loved it it just stirred up in me wanting to know and have that experience and when i was my grandpa still had this old grain mill thankfully but it had gotten pretty bad disrepair and it needed uh pretty much all the woodwork restocked on it and when I was 14, my grandpa gave me what was left of this little, it was a Meadows mill, built by Meadows Mill Company down in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And 1920 was the year this mill was built. It still had this serial number stamped in the, the wood and it was still good enough to read. And I called Meadows and they dated it for me. And I restocked this thing when I was 15 I got in touch with the sawmill man and he milled the timbers that I needed to restock it. Now, this is not like a big, this is the small unit that's, you know, the size of maybe half as big as your kitchen table. And it's a machine that you hook a belt to, a flat belt, maybe four, four inches wide. And you run that from a power source and this machine grinds grain and the stones in it are 16 inches in diameter. And I restocked this thing, got it going when I was 16 years or 15 years old, excuse me. An older fella in our county that I had heard about and actually went to his mill. I went to him with my millstones and he taught me what he knew about dressing millstones. And I got, that's how I got that part of it figured out. And put this thing together and it ground corn and it made cornmeal and we ran it off my dad's little garden tractor lawn big kind of a heavy duty lawnmower garden tractor i rigged the belt up to that to make it operate to run it and i remember the first time i ground grain with it i was so excited to see this machine work this is only something that i'd it had kind of been a fairy tale to hear my dad talk about it and now i'd got this thing to a workable state and it was grinding grain and cornmeal was coming out the spout and i remember i i sacked or i bagged up a uh, a bag of cornmeal and i i got it and i just took off running ran all the way to my grandpa's house which was i don't know maybe an eighth of a mile away on the up the road across the road and i took it in and i showed my grandpa this cornmeal that i'd ground and you know, it was really exciting time because this little mill hadn't operated at that time in about 50 years. Wow. And I figured my grandpa, he'd probably thought that it didn't ever operate again, but it did. And I was able to, during that latter part of my childhood, grind some corn for some people and make cornmeal. And I grew a pretty good crop of corn that year and with my horse and 
it was just a a real special time for me and then I got into construction work. I took a job in town and got into construction work. And then to fast forward up to around 2010, a fella is not really my neighbor. He's a distant neighbor. He got some interest in wanting to, I'd made a comment about a water wheel and he, next time I saw him, he was really interested in figuring that out so i got to help with that and i wound up building this water mill for him and it was a dream come true and there's been a lot happened since then as far as milling but when was the uh when was that water mill when did you build that finished in 2013 okay and now- that Meadows mill that you mentioned, that, that was the original mill that your grandpa had in his mill? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It, uh, the fellow that bought this little mill knew in 1920, he'd passed away and there was nobody to operate it. So my grandpa and his brother uh, took over and they operated it. And then when they stopped operating, operating it, my grandpa brought the mill home and that's how it got got to me okay it was that originally a water run mill or did they run it off a tractor my understanding what i've been told is originally like in 1920 they ran it off of a like a hit and miss a big flywheel engine one of the first types of engines folks had for a power source wow and then when my grandpa had got it later on, they were running it with an engine out of a A-model Ford car. And the engine got got gone. So my grandpa sold it to somebody or something. But, yeah, that's that's how that was. So, Wow. Those little, the little portable mills, that, I say portable, they made them in sizes like from 12-inch diameter stones up to 30-inch diameter stones. And when the old water mills started kind of fading away, these smaller mills came into play, and they there got to be a lot of them. They sold a lot of these mills all over the country, and it made it easier for just the average person to set up a grain mill and start milling grain for their neighbors. And you could pretty much hook up any power source you had to it, whether it be a water wheel, an engine. Some of them were ran by animal power, so they're, you know, they were they were really common in the early 1900s, all the way up through the 50s, and they're still building them at Meadows Mills. So, wow, they're still making those those portable mills. Yep, they're not as many sizes, but they're different now. They'll be a all kind of an all steel machine, but they are still building them. Very cool. Now that mill that you got from your grandpa, I, mean, I assume you still have that. I do. Yeah, I, I have it, and I've uh, my oldest daughter. We use that mill, and or I'm sorry, the I have too. I have a mill that belong to my great grandpa as well and it's a size smaller it's a 12 inch diameter Meadows mill and 
it belongs to my oldest daughter and the meal that I restored when I was 15, it's going to belong to my youngest daughter. So hmm. yeah, I'm going to kind of pass it on down to them. And it's special because, you know, they grew up, my oldest daughter grew up milling corn with me on this meal that she's going to have. And my youngest daughter will have the experience of milling grain on, uh, the, the other meal. So I'm hoping it'll mean a lot to them one day. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing. Um, that really is. Um, so your grandpa's mill, it sounds like he he picked it up around 1920. And then he, when did he end up walking away from that? My, my grandpa actually, I don't remember. I, I think the particular year that the fellow that bought the mill in 1920 he passed away in 1945, and I think around that time is when my grandpa took over and started operating that little community mill. Oh, okay. And I think maybe around 1955, maybe he stopped doing that. So. Got it. Yeah. Um, so there used to be community mills like that everywhere i mean um was was that was the 50s kind of a a big decade for the decline of of community mills or was that just kind of what happened there yeah it got to a point of some of this is assumption and or maybe an educated opinion and some of it i think is fact but most people they started experimenting with kind of switch over to small grains like wheat and things like that. They, they found out by not using a stone to, to mill this small grain wheat and different grains with stone, but to, to use steel roller mills and they would have a bank of roller mills that kind of stripped the grain down just to remove the endosperm and separate the endosperm from the brand it 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 allowed the product to last a lot longer because the natural oils and the in the germ they are what once that grain is broken open it's like a little capsule and once you break it open it starts going downhill you know just like anything else they found out that by doing that it would last a lot longer but what's that doing then we're just eating just one part of this grain it's not a whole grain and that was way earlier that was like late 1800s when they started doing this but to get back what you to what you said in the 1950s it seems like folks started transitioning and in the 60s to buy and store-bought bread and everything went commercial and the local grain mill kind of faded away and um it's kind of a sad thing but it's just how times went and folks just they forgot about you know having a local meal and what they didn't know about at the time is the you know how good it was to have a local grain mill where you could actually 
get a fresh milled product and you could eat it right away like we were supposed to do. And it's, from what I've read, like what I was saying about a grain is a capsule. And once you break that open, I think it's like in 24 hours, it loses like 40% of its nutritional value. And another uh, day or two, you've lost 85 or 90% of that because, you know, just like anything else, a watermelon or whatever, of course, grain will store for years, whereas a watermelon won't, but I'm just using that for an example. Once you break it open, things start going downhill. It's the same with a grain. And if you're not able to get a fresh milled whole grain product, you're not getting the value that we're supposed to get out of that. So we lost a lot of that when, when things changed, like in the 50s, and store-bought breads and whatnot was came into play and like corn cornmeal you know folks start stop growing the corn and having fresh ground cornmeal but then you go commercial and you know anything commercial it's got to be uh, treated different handled different you got to have additives preservatives things like that just to keep it so it's no comparison i hope that kind of answers your question about that yeah yeah no and and it seems like and again this is this is kind of guesswork or casual observation but we started seeing a lot of health issues in the in the population you know after the 50s as the nutrition started to decline now in appalachia was it mostly just corn that was being milled did people grow things like wheat they also grew wheat uh yeah, I remember my grandpa talking about, and my dad, when he was a, when my dad was young, he uh, also told me stories about my grandpa growing wheat and harvesting it with a cradle and shocking it in the field and then hauling it in and stacking it. And then he told me about uh, the thrashers coming and certain people around had a thrashing machine and they would travel farm to farm and thrash people's grain and thrashing is separating the grain from the straw and the chaff this machine you just feed the the bundles of grain into and it separates that all out and you get a fairly clean clean grain out of it and that's another thing i've got a thrashing machine and I was able to find out the name of the wheat that my grandpa grew. It's called Red Clawson. And another family member, one of my cousins, was able to remember from his childhood what the name of this wheat was. And I found some some of the seed. But when I found it, like 25 grains was $4. So if you're wanting to, you know, plant a whole field of this wheat it would be pretty hard to do buying 25 grains at a time for $4. Yeah. Like years to ever get enough for a crop. So I kept watching it. Finally, another place, I think they're in Minnesota, I think great Lake staple seeds. They had some of the some of the red cloths and seed and you could buy a larger quantity. So I, uh, last year I bought, I think it was a pound and a half and I planted, what i could and i saved some of the seed as well just in case i lost the crop 
and I was able to harvest that just, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago, and I harvested it with a cradle, just like my grandpa did, and I tied it in bundles, just like he did, and I've got it drying, and I'm, I don't know yet what method I'm going to use for thrashing it, if I'm going to use my my old thrashing machine or if i'm gonna do a different method but this crop is just for seed i'm planning on uh planting another crop of that from this seed that i grew uh, in september and hopefully have a good crop next year to actually be able to mill and use some of this grain but it's a soft winter wheat which is you know more like for cakes and biscuits and things like that whereas uh, the hard winter wheats, they have a higher gluten content to my understanding, and they make more of a stretchy bread, you know, whereas the soft winter wheats are more like a biscuit type cake type flour. But um, it's what you were saying about health, and we can get into that in a little while, but yeah, I've had a lot of people tell me how their health has turned around after they started milling and and using their own whole grain freshly milled it's just amazing and yeah i mean there's like you said i mean the the vast majority of that nutrient nutrient content is gone in what two or three days and that's but hey it's got good shelf life and make sure the corporations are making their profit margins and keeping everybody in cheap, cheap bread. Um, there, there you go. Yeah. Now something that's kind of standing out to me. And I mean, when you say the word community grain, will the, the, one of the big words there is community. And then you talk about the thrashing machine and it really seems like, and I think this covers most aspects of, of our culture back, back in the days is, is people work together. And it seems like as everything got centralized and, and kind of sucked up by the, by the industrial machines and the corporations, you know, we, we became less and less dependent on each other and more and more dependent on them. And then again, you know, get into the health aspect. Now we're, now we're at the doctor once a month and now we need their pills and now I'm going on a tangent, but, um, (laughs) you know, it really seems like, what we're looking at today are the results of, you know, the last, you know, 60, 70 years of that trajectory. And we're seeing, we're seeing the cracks and we're seeing water starting to come through the dam. And, and we're, I mean, you'd have to be willfully ignorant not to see that this thing's kind of falling apart and the old ship is, is on fire and it's sinking. Um, And I know a lot of people are, myself included looking to kind of get into the old ways and, and, you know, you're clearly kind of a conservator of those old ways and a gateway back to that. But I mean, I wonder over the last couple of years that have been, you know, pretty tough and, and a lot of those challenges have been more, more apparent. How how have things changed for you as far as your your interaction with the outside world? Do you find more people are are looking to you for for answers? Have you? I mean, what's what's changed for you in that regard? Um, well, been a lot of changes. I spent about a year and a half caring for my parents who got sick, and I lost both of them last year, and 
then I got sick and it's just been a struggle to try to do much, but I've, I've kept on and, and tried and tried. One thing I did last year, I started a YouTube channel and, uh, had some friends that had encouraged me to do that. My oldest daughter suggested first that I do that a couple years earlier or a year earlier. And I, I did, but I didn't really know much about it. I didn't know how that worked. I did not associate community with YouTube. YouTube was something I went to to see how uh, to do something, to make a particular mechanical, <clears throat> do something mechanical with my vehicle or something like that, or just to watch something entertaining. I never associated YouTube with community. But since I started this channel and actively started sharing what I'm doing, it has just been amazing. I can't tell you the stories that I've have heard from folks emailing me and you know commenting on my videos. Of you know, a lot of them talks about you know this this brings back things to my memory that I hadn't thought about in years. And thank you so much for doing that. And then you've got another group of folks that they're wanting to actually know how to do what you're doing, and they'll ask questions about it and you know want you to give them references on things and uh just a bunch of interesting grain mills and that's what has really made me happy but yeah it's been the last year has been really it's it's really been a total change for me i've always been up here in the holler uh on metcalf creek doing my own thing I guess I thought kind of a little bit everybody else was just like us. And now that I find out <laughs> <laughs> not that at all. And people actually care about and, you know, love and enjoy what I'm doing. And it, it helps people. I feel like a lot. And that's just, this is my dreams. And when you have a dream about doing something and people are excited about it and, they give you so much positive feedback about what you're doing. It's just, I don't, I can't even explain to you how, how good it feels. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing to me. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I gotta tell you, I'm inspired by what you're doing. And, and, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, one of the big reasons I wanted to bring you on here is just to, get you out to more people. Cause I just think that more and more people need to see what you're doing and, and, and kind of get a glimpse into that world. And I mean, we're, we're clearly, we're watching, like I said, I really think we're just kind of watching the collapse of this whole thing and kind of in slow motion and, and, in, you know, these new ways that we've all just kind of taken for granted and become kind of hopelessly dependent upon, you know, as they fail, I mean, where, where do we go? We go to the old ways. We go to the ways that worked for a really long time, ways that were proven, the ways that used to be handed down from generation to generation. And so I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the fact that you are on YouTube and, and you're able to hand that, that knowledge down to many of us who are, you know, looking to, looking to get in touch with those old ways. Um, as far as the future of milling, I'm kind of curious, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the history and, and kind of how it kind of fell apart, you know, in the middle of the last century. Uh, 
as far as the community grain mill, but I mean, what do you what do you foresee in the future as far as community grain mills and, and milling in general? Well, I've I've been working the last about the last five years pretty regular with grain mills and most of what I did was stone dressing and restoration of you know, total total restorations of old grain mills. And I've done a lot of that and there's I got a particular phone call last year from a fella in South Carolina and he had saw my YouTube channel and he said Justin, he said, I'm looking for a old grain mill. I'm growing a couple acres of corn. I want to mill this and I want to make sure that my family has, you know, something good to eat. He said, I don't know where to start. Can you help me? And I said, yeah, I, I can. I'm sure, you know, if I don't have an old mill that suits you, that we can find you one and get it in shape. And I'd been thinking for many years i mean probably eight years or maybe even ten about uh building a grain mill kind of my own design and i've just kind of got spurred on by everything going on and when this guy called me i just said it's time you know it's time to start doing this and i i told him about what i had been planning on doing i told him you know i'm not there yet but i'm working on it starting to work on it and this call just really inspired me to start doing more to make it happen uh you know faster because i feel the need is there and i told him my idea he said he said justin he said as soon as you get one of these meals done he said i don't care if it's a prototype he said i want to buy it and i said well i'll let you know as soon as i do and since then it's been a lot of positivity and encouragement and excitement and i started a kickstarter some friends encouraged me to do uh, a few months back and it was it was kind of the renaissance of the grain mill is what I titled it, but Grain Mills for Community is my whole idea with doing it. And then I start hearing from people about the same time. I'll give you an example. This lady in Texas, Waco, Texas, she lives in an apartment building. She said her and her two kids were pretty sickly. And she started doing some research and researching food, and she changed their diet, and she got a little hand crank grain mill that she can mount on her kitchen counter and grind some grain by hand she ordered some organic wheat berries and she started doing that and they started eating this she bakes bread and they started eating that regularly and she said their health turned around they're not sick anymore they're doing great and she just i mean she said justin you're you're going the right way just keep going just keep going and since then i've heard other stories the exact same thing this what whole grain fresh milled whole grains have done for folks's health and the kickstarter uh was very successful and i've been 
trying to get everything together since that to uh, start producing some grain meals. There's a few couple things right now that's kind of aggravating and hard to get as far as supply chains and other things that are going on, but it's coming together slowly. And I've also, after my parents' death, I've just had my hands full this year. And, you know, I'm raising these two daughters by myself and just a lot going on. Of course, we grow a lot of what we eat and just just life in general, but it's progressing forward. I'm excited about uh, having more time to devote to that in the near future and make it happen. But my thing is with that, you can buy grain mills. The difference is my grain mill is going to be designed like grain mills were originally with horizontal stones so that you've got a bed stone, which is the bottom stone. It does not turn. And you've got the runner stone on top that spins. And the way millstones work, they're dressed. They have furrows and then they have lands, which are the flat part is the lands. And then the furrows is a groove that's cut into the millstone. And there's many different patterns. But when they, when the top runner stone spins, it works like shears or scissors. And it kind of shears that grain up. And there's nothing that compares to you know how good it is the flour and the, just the ground products from a meal and the, the important thing about a horizontal meal is you can run it at a slower rpm and it will still work like these metas meals and and that i talk about restoring and the ones that you know my like my grandpa uh had they have to run at a fairly high rpm or they won't function right they're a production meal they're made to to get it done, you know, and they do a good job at that. But if you're wanting to get the best you can out of your product, you want that slower RPM of that horizontal mill because if you're running too fast, what happens, it creates heat. That friction creates heat, and you're essentially starting to cook your product before you even get it out of your mill, and that's going to kill kill a lot of the value of that whole grain so with the horizontal meals it's just there's no comparison the quality you get out of it and the value you get out of it i mean if you've got a good grain that you grew or somebody else grew and it's a good grain to start with you don't want to do anything that's gonna you know devalue that so my idea is to build a small mill, and I've got a proto, a working prototype now, is to build a small mill that folks can afford to own, and whether it be a family mill or a community mill, folks will be able to get a fresh milled product that's going to be good for them, and it's not going to be a big hassle to get it because hopefully it's going to, you know, be in their community. but that's now there's a lot of communities out there and i understand that and you know i'm not a factory but i'm doing the best i can one of the other important factors to my meal is pretty much anything you buy you're stuck with an electric motor that's not how it is with my grain meal you can 
you know, just like the old grain mills, you can hook up any power source you want to that. And it's real easy. I don't, if folks have water power, you can use that. Any type of engine, a garden tractor, a farm tractor, uh, some, you can hook up a, like a riding lawnmower. Uh, if you do it just right and make it work but they're very versatile you're not stuck with just an electric motor to be able to grind grain and it also may be in the future maybe doing something with some human power just to make sure that this thing can work no matter what but that's my wow. grain mills for communities idea and there's like i said a lot of people are excited about it and can't wait till i you know have more to show and i can't either but <laughs> so you said you do have a working prototype for that i do yeah i do i'm i'm tweaking a few little things the first time i put it together and ran it it ground i ground some corn with it and it did a really good job it made a really fine very fine corn flour and uh ground some grits and cornmeal it really done well there's just a couple little adjustments that i want to uh, do to to have it functioning exactly like i want it to but it does work great and it's simple to use it's easy to use you just got to have a power source and like i said it's versatile you can get it with an electric motor if you want that and something happens and you need to operate it by a different means you'll be able to do that really easy so i just want folks to to have something that works and is versatile to whatever their situation is so that they can you know have some grain and everybody says well, where you get grain i said well you got to grow it <laughs> this i've you know i've grown corn pretty much all my life that's it's pretty easy to grow field corn, dent corn, or flint corn that dries out hard for milling. Uh, small grains, like I said, I don't like to talk about something that I don't have experience with, but I have a little bit of experience because I grew this uh, little patch of wheat this past winter. And I, I sowed that wheat in September it started growing it made some big nice green plumes that looked like grass covered the ground then in uh over the winter like on the warm sunny days it my understanding it keeps developing a root system and then when it starts warming up in spring this plant's got a head start and it outgrows everything all the weeds mm. all that kind of thing and it shoots up and makes these big heads of grain and it did great it was not in a great spot i think it was a little too humid in the spot that i put it in it was kind of close to the creek and bottom land and it, it don't don't drain really well there but it still did okay and i got some nice grain off of it but in the old days this this particular grain was like my grandpa they grew it up on the hillsides on some well-drained uh land and I think that's what I'm going to do this coming year, this September when I go back, go back with it. I want to put it on some land that's well drained and see how it does there. But it's really easy. All I did was fix the ground and plant this grain, and then I went back and harvested. I didn't have to do anything in the meantime. I might have pulled a couple weeds around the edge that started growing, but 
other than that i did nothing to this stuff and it's all possible to do by hand um if you you can kind of study and read about it but it's all you can thrash it by hand you can harvest it by hand and you can mill it by hand so you know it's a little bit of work but it's worth it it's you can't put a price on it i mean it's kind of a cycle you put some work in and then you you reap health benefit fits to keep you healthy along with the exercise and the work you're doing so it's yeah. it goes hand in hand i mean it's a perfect system <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like firewood warms you what five times times yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> um so you, that's your first time growing wheat correct first time i wish i had more experience but what i always say is we're learning together so yeah I'm what I'm doing. no way to learn by but just to get started and jump in i know that from our uh big garden we got out here like man we've learned more in three months of playing around out there than we have watching videos and reading books it's just it's uh it's great, but it's, it's, so you've done mostly corn. I have to assume that on a, on a, like a homestead level, corn is probably easier than a smaller grain, like, like wheat. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I don't know about easier corn you have, uh, it's maybe easier on the harvesting end, but I usually cultivate my corn three times and with the grain, you don't have to do anything, but just plant it, you know, cultivation, uh it's 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 hard to say but when you harvest the corn it's pretty easy just to to harvest the ears off of it and put them in a bin or a crib and let them dry out and they're ready to mill so i guess it probably balances out the work you don't have to do on the small grain on the wheats and whatnot you might have to do a little extra on the corn just to get it where it needs to be but that makes sense and thinking about that i don't like to I like to be as accurate as I can. It may be on the grain, like when you crack it in 24 hours, you may lose it around, it may be more like 25% instead. I think I said 40 earlier, but I just want to be as accurate as I can with what I say. And I'm, I think it may be 25% and 24 hours. And then I know another two or three days, you've lost upwards of 80 or 90% of the nutritional value out of that grain. So I just want to be accurate with what I share. Yeah. Correct. Like I I said, learning, still learning like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're all, well, I mean, if, if, if you think you're done learning, then you're, uh, I guess you're done learning. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're done. Don't you? Yeah. I like to, Every night when I go to bed, I like to think I try. I learned at least one thing that day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I mean, on the homestead level, you know, I know, I know for me, and I, I, I imagine for a lot of other folks, you know, the idea of producing enough grain to keep a family fed, and maybe even keep the livestock fed, seems like maybe almost impossible. What would you say to that? Yeah, it definitely takes some room to do that. And that's another thing. I wish I had more experience with that. But uh, it's going to take some experimenting. And 
I think that rolls back around uh, instead of being one unit trying to do everything yourself. Well, I know people that have a whole lot more farmland than I do and they can grow a bunch, whereas I can't maybe. And that's where community comes back in. So, you know, if somebody's got plenty of room and can grow one crop and a lot of times you don't want to cross pollinate things, it's kind of like, the system was set up that we need to depend on each other and work with each other and we've got away from that and it needs to come back but if you are unable to do that then you need to talk to neighbors or friends and and try to try to work together on that some people have a better situation for for growing a you know a bunch of one thing and so. Yeah, get back to interdependence and and uh, you know not not thinking you can do it all your own. I know a lot of people who, um, you know, are getting getting back to things and trying to be more independent and 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 prepared tend to think in terms of self reliance and self reliance. I think is really important. But like you said, when you go back to history and you see successful communities, they were just that they were they were communities. They were interdependent. You know, it, it wasn't a, a grain mill at every farm. It was one mill for the community. And, and maybe somebody had land suited better to a particular crop and somebody else, some others. And um, that certainly seems to be where we need to go if we're going to make it through some of the the hardships that are that are coming, I believe. Um, I mean, how much you, you talked about space and growing grain. We'll just say corn, for example. I mean, how much how much space do you need to be able to produce enough to feed a small family roughly? Yeah. I wanted to get real quick. What you said, I agree. And it's kind of like, don't be selfish with self-reliance. Yeah. Just because, you know, I believe in self-reliance, but self-reliance goes a long way in community. So, right. Yeah. You got to think, think, you got to not just think of yourself and self-reliance, but think of your community is as the unit um i usually like to grow an acre of corn and it all depends it depends on what type you're growing you know how well it does it's like people ask me well how much of this do you grow well i don't know i don't have enough data to say and most of the time what i wind up telling folks is you're just going to have to experiment with it you're going to have to plant it see how it does in your area see what kind of a yield you get then you have some solid information to go off of because all i can do is talk about you know what i've done and that don't really apply to many other people and it depends on how often you want to eat corn or how often <laughs> right. you want to eat bread and it's just there's so many variables but, you know, you can grow the spot of uh, the little patch of grain that I grew was like 12 feet wide by, I think it was like 60 feet long. And I'm hoping to get a bushel off of that. I don't know yet because I've not thrashed it. But say a bushel, uh, if you got like... I want to say it's 
uh, around 50 pounds in a bushel of wheat. I think it may be a little bit more than but not much. So if you can grow 50 pounds and you grind that, if you get, and I'm talking because I don't have experience yet because I've not done it, but if you get close to 50 pounds of flour, whole grain flour out of that, well, that gives you something to go off of. If you got a good stand, 12 feet wide by 60 feet long, and you're able to get a bushel off of that, it may take twice that much room for you to get a bushel. I don't know, but you know, that's, that's 50 pounds of whole grain flour. That's going to go a decent ways. And then it comes down to the balance of how much you eat a day. Well, you know, I, I could eat a loaf of bread a day. I love it. And yeah, I've got friends that do that. And, and they say, you know, a lot of, everybody's worried about carbs and eating bread and gaining weight. Well, I've got friends that grind this grain they eat a loaf some days they eat a loaf a day and they say they hadn't gained weight they've lost a little bit of weight Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's totally different there are things and something i wanted to say about the gluten allergies and i know there's people that have gluten allergies but a lot of times people switch off store-bought bread and commercial grains what they do not everybody, but a lot of them, to my understanding, they will spray their grain crops uh, with like Roundup or glyphosate and kill that crop, and it makes it easier to harvest. It separates, the grain separates better from the, the, the plant, the stem. Right. Well, those grains, they have cavities. Once that poison gets in there, it's not coming back out. So... When people switch over to eating a good organic grain that's clean or organically grown, I use the word organic pretty loose. I'm not certified organic. I don't claim to be organic. I just say I do my best to to use organic practices. And to me, that's just not putting any chemicals on my food. That's all it is. Yeah. And I don't, I do that. And when people start eating a, or, a organically grown product, they don't have these allergies. They don't have the same reaction. So it's actually not a not a gluten allergy a lot of the time. It's a poison allergy. Yeah. Are, are you yeah. surprised that you're allergic to poison? <laughs> right. And that yeah. and those poisons are in there killing all the gut bacteria and reducing your resistance to things. And um, yeah, I I agree with that. I don't. I mean, I'm no expert myself, but right. I heard a friend say the other day that there was starting to be, I think, glyphosate, a small bit of glyphosate in people's urine. Mm-hmm. And they say, I've read something or heard something, whether it's true or not, I'm not vouching for that. Just saying that there, most all raindrops, there's a little bit of glyphosate in. So it's just you put it on the earth it runs off it gets in the water it goes up it has to be there i mean where yeah where else for it to go yeah and they spray it's they spray that stuff everywhere right and i imagine it's going to go away in time but it's not going to go away until it's you know it's not being put out there all the yep yeah but i yeah i just hope i can encourage and help make a way that folks can start doing this and something in my daughter's love i've experimented a little bit 
we take <clears throat> some of the hard winter wheat that we have that a friend grows and i'll crack it up it's it's kind of like grits but it's more coarse than grits i crack this wheat up and it's cracked wheat and we cook it like oatmeal or something and put some maybe some butter and some honey or sorghum molasses on there and that is the best breakfast my girls uh, it's their favorite they would rather have that than anything and when Mm. you eat that you feel so good i don't know really how to explain it but i just feel good from the inside out when i eat that stuff it just feels you feel so good after you eat it it's it's hard to explain it's amazing but sounds like a lot of nutrients so you said it's hard hard red winter wheat that you do that with yep that's what we use because it's what we had on hand uh i hope to you know experiment with other things and but it is just you cook it just like oatmeal you crack it kind of get it roughed up broke it down a little bit and then you you boil it for a couple minutes and put a lid on it let it sit yeah i I usually uh kind of mix maybe mix milk and water half and half and cook it in that and it takes a little while to cook it because you've got that that chunky grain Mm -hmm. that cracked grain so you might cook it for 20 25 minutes like you would a good coarse grit a real grit so Hmm. like everything else it's a little time investment but it's well worth it i mean it's you'll don't start eating it unless you plan on eating it from now on because you there won't be anything else that satisfies you like that does hmm yeah we we eat oatmeal every morning in this family but um we we like oatmeal too but but eventually you know when we run out of that and we can't get it we've got a got a few grains of wheat in storage so good to know we've got a replacement i was just thinking about that today yeah absolutely um so i I had told a few folks that I was going to be talking with you and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that are getting into homesteading and prepping and just kind of being more independent, realize their need for a grain mill. And I have people ask me quite a bit, you know, what I need a grain mill, what should I buy? And so I would be remiss if I didn't ask the expert, you know, do you have a recommendation for, for folks as far as like a small home-based grain mill? uh i mean there's a lot of things out there and actually i don't have any experience with any of them because i've always uh used the old meal that i have and uh of course i would recommend the meals that i'm working on but i realize folks are going to have to have something in a hurry and all i know is what i've been told the little hand crank uh quality grain mills do a good job it takes some energy but they do a decent job and somebody mentioned to me a while back that there is some countertop grain mills that are really high quality mills that work good and as far as recommending i don't know i don't have anything to recommend because i've not i don't have any experience with anything but that makes sense uh yeah, I just, I can't get meals quick enough. Folks are just chomping at the bit to to get a grain meal. And it's, so uh, I, I know people send meals to you to, to kind of refurbish. 
I mean, are there just old mills kind of out there in the world, just kind of hiding in the back of barns and things like that? That's right. There is. And what I always tell folks is, uh, and this has happened. Some folks have found a mill and, uh, you know, they get a good deal on it, what they think is a good deal. But then they find out, well, we got to dress the stones. Well, we got to pour new Babbitt Barons. So they got a lot more invested than they originally thought. So my thing is, and then some of the old mills, you get them and dress the stones, they're ready to go. They're ready to work. You just never know without thoroughly checking them out beforehand. But uh, that's just something to be aware of if you're uh, hunting an old mill is to, and it's hard for a lot of folks because they, most people hadn't ever seen one before, much less know how to evaluate the condition. And I'll yeah. always, if somebody calls me or emails me, I will always try to tell them as accurately as I can what to look for. And I've even, you know, I get a lot of pictures sent to me. Well, what's it going on here? How does this look? Things like that. And I always try to help as much as I can. So, but yeah, there is old mills out there. If you can get them and they're in decent condition, uh, that's good. If they're not in good condition, you, you'll spend, spend a little bit depending on the condition to get them operable. So, Okay. And as far as your pro your project, I mean, what's, uh, I know you're working on it you're having some supply issues, but when do you think you'll be able to have some mills for sale? I had originally said, and hopefully by September, uh, and that's what I'm going to try to stick to if I can get everything together. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to start kind of a production set up with them and uh they'll the hard thing for me is a lot of folks have asked well are you going to have somebody else build them for you and no i'm not if my name's on something you know i'm going to be on it i want to know everything there is to know about it and that makes things hard and it makes it slower and of course you it's it's hard to certain things it's hard to just get somebody else to do but especially this because it's kind of a specialty and it's rare and not many people know almost nobody knows anything about it so right i'm gonna be diligently working as hard as i can to get them done as fast as i can and i hope as we progress things will get faster i want to build a couple more i don't know if you'd call prototypes i feel like this first one's a prototype and and uh, I think it'll be working exactly like I want it to and build a couple more and then start putting some meals out the door, hopefully. so. Nice. And, and what will one of those units run somebody? Well, that's I want to kind of get a better idea of how much time is going to be invested as well as my material costs. Uh, there's some things I can't make that I have to buy, and I have no control over that, but Right. There's been a lot of people ask me that, and I hate to be so vague, but I want to know exactly what I'm gonna what I'm gonna have in one before I tell somebody else what they're gonna have to put in one. And, yeah, because that's one. That's another part of my goal is to make these things affordable. Like even my meals, I'm gonna try to make them as affordable as possible, and that's what I encourage people. Well, if you can't afford one, talk to some of your friends, your neighbors, your community. Yep. See if y'all can, you know, work something out to to go in shares on it to make it happen. So 
It's and a beautiful just, thing, man. I'm excited to see that grow. That just encourages community farther. So yeah, absolutely. We need more of that for sure. Right. But yeah, as soon as I know, I'll be putting the word out on what the cost is going to be and whatnot. I just hadn't got that far yet. I don't like to speculate, especially this day and time, because things are changing every day. And yeah, you know, it's 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 hard to get a hold of people and get answers for that I need. So right, yeah. And you, you, what what might cost you one thing today and two weeks could cost you double. You never know. So right, um, yeah. That makes sense to me. So um, for those that want to keep up with that project and, and maybe you're interested in, in, in getting a hold of you and, and possibly buying one of those mills or learning from you and just kind of keeping in touch, where do folks find you? Uh, best place is my YouTube channel. It's called Metcalf Meals. And my accent, a lot of times folks thinks I'm, saying a meal like a meal you eat three times a day but it's meals m-i-l-l-s metcalf meals and that's the best place my contact information is in the description of all my videos and my email and whatnot and you'll see what i've got going on i do i try to share some of my farming that i do we grow sorghum to make sorghum molasses or sorghum syrup sweet sorghum syrup and we do a lot of different things and a lot of work with grain mills. And I, I do some story times on some old stories from, you know, here in my family and the olden days and whatnot. And I explore some old homesteads and old barns and we have a lot of fun. So it's, uh, that's the best way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Man, I appreciate you joining me today. and Oh, it was a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing where everything goes with, with that community grain mill project. And um, hopefully I'll be able to get my neighbors together and get one out in our, our neck of the woods. Well, I hope so. That'd be great. Awesome, Justin. Well, thanks again. And um, we'll... Uh, We'll be in touch. Hopefully, I'll, I'll I'll have you on once you get things up and running uh, with the uh, with that project. That sounds great. I'm excited to share it with everybody. Awesome. Thanks again, Justin. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. There's my conversation with Mr. Justin Metcalf. I feel like we really just started to scratch the surface a bit on on all the things that that he knows and his experience and his perspective. Um, but hopefully you were able to take away some value from that conversation. Um, you know, I know for us, we, we are looking at ways to become more independent when it comes to to food, obviously. But, you know, grain seems like one of those uh, bigger challenges. And he did confirm that. It does take a fair amount of space. And so, you know, the, the, the jury's still out here on our homestead exactly where we may go. I am going to look into what it might take to to be able to grow wheat, and um, we do, we are growing a little bit of a, a grain corn just to kind of experiment and see. But um, but yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, and definitely check out his YouTube channel. Um, since our conversation, I've been a little bit more regular over there, and you know he he really is kind of the antidote for 
a lot of the the bad stuff going on in this world. Um, <clears throat> if you ever need a a little pick me up, um, he's he's usually sure to give it to you. He's just a really positive positive man uh, with a great outlook, um, despite you know the hardships and the challenges that that life has thrown him. And um, so I I just really admire him for that and all the work he's doing with with grain milling and um, yeah, can't recommend him enough. Go check him out. And, um, and you can help me. You can help me by sharing this podcast to somebody you think may benefit from some of the conversations that we're having here. Uh, Definitely. If you haven't already subscribe so that you won't miss an episode and uh, would love to see some more ratings and reviews. That definitely goes uh, goes a long way in, in getting the podcast out there for more people to discover. And if you'd like to support financially, you can certainly do that by going over to the resources page on my website where I do have some, uh, some choice affiliate links there to some companies that I personally recommend and have personal experience with. I do receive a small commission at no charge to you. So it's a nice way to kind of get some good supplies and services and at the same time support this podcast. So folks, appreciate you being here this week in my conversation with Justin Metcalf. And that was the 20th episode. So kind of a milestone. Glad to be here and we'll continue moving forward and looking forward to seeing you uh, next time. And until then, this is Jason signing off, reminding you, do something today to improve your tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Plans and Provisions podcast. If you would like to stay up to date with everything happening around the homestead, head on over to the website at plansandprovisions.com.